Hello, creeps. I'll be your ghost. I mean host. As we delve the crypts of spooky movies and even spookier theory. Welcome to Horror Vanguard. All right, listeners, you might you might notice that today uh, this is something new. Something new is happening here on Horror Vanguard, and that's John and I have got jobs as janitors. That's right. We're now working in uh, the Deep 13 facility as janitorial crew for these mad scientists, and God knows what they're up to. I heard they just launched a guy into orbit on a satellite to do experiments on him. Uh, but, uh, you know, we're built different, and that's not going to happen to us. Yeah. Uh, I'm Ashley Darrow, joined as always by John, a.k.a. The Liquid Guy. How's it going, John? Hello, hello, hello. Uh, we are, of course, uh, in a celebratory mood today. Um, it is the... It, it comes twice a year, right? The very special HV episode where it is one of our birthdays. And so Ooh. to celebrate that person, uh, we do a very special episode. Uh, and today we're celebrating Ash's birthday. And so this is what we have decided to do. <laughs> <laughs> and and I guess I guess a little a little behind the screams here. Like I was because because usually for my birthday episodes, I either pick something indecipherably experimental or i pick something that's just kind of like b-movie trash that's just just real sleazy kind of garbage cinema and i was i was like oh let's do let's do yodorowsky's dune let, let, let's do the pirate footage that leaked to someone flipping through all the pages of the dune book and, and then it, it quickly became apparent that that's like no that's like a multi-month-long process <laughs> that's that, that's far too complicated for a single podcast episode <laughs> Yeah, but the problem the problem with that, Ash, is that we said the same thing about doing every single Halloween film. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yes. Uh, oh, do you want to know something horrible that occurred to me yesterday? Uh, go on. Uh, 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 the monkey's paw curled again because I was like, oh, you know what? What horror franchises have we really not dipped a toe in here on Horror Vanguard? Yeah. Who's really left? And then, and then I was also looking through. I was like, "Oh, what was Jenna Ortega up to before she got the role as Wednesday Adams and kind of jettisoned herself as the, forward as the new Scream Queen?" And then I was like, "Oh yeah, she was in Scream. Oh God, we haven't talked about the Scream franchise." Oh God! Oh God! Oh, oh no! You oh said God! It. You've said it. You've released it. Every into every the world. Scream movie in nine hours or less. Uh. I so I don't want I'm to never do that. editing one of those again. <laughs> no, we're not doing that again. We're never doing that again. We're never it took doing me like three days to edit that. That was miserable. <laughs> yeah, we're never doing an episode that takes literally over twenty four hours for you to edit. We're not doing that. the 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 only thing that would get me to do that is a live MST three K Shadow Rama style uh, riffing of logistics. Um. Uh, to be honest, I've thought about that. I think that I think we I think we could do that. I I, I keep thinking about that too because we we talked a lot about doing an episode on logistics, and I'm like, Ugh. an episode wouldn't do it justice. Though we'd have to do something that also is three months long. <laughs> yeah, because we wouldn't do the 75 minute supercut. We would have to do it the entire thing. Yes, yes, yeah, just the whole the whole thing through, and like that would I can't imagine how long that would take to construct as as a bit of cinema that would it's a project that like logistics works because it's just a camera taped to a boat there's no script scripted content my god my god if only if only the billionaires of the world were not uh building top secret uh bunkers experimental uh spaceships um or you know terrible social media websites and we're instead just pouring money into niche left-wing <laughs> podcasting <clears throat> um uh, did you say left-wing podcasting because today we're talking about space travel and experimental satellites uh so uh mr musk elon if you're listening to our new uh space tech podcast it would be really epic if you funded our uh lol maxing um i don't how do these people speak i'm i'm, I'm losing the fucking grip on this one already <laughs> Well, it's it's hard for us to appeal to Elon Musk because we are not permanently stuck in Reddit from 2013. Um, <laughs> ep- ep- Wait till the pricey comes. E- epic meme, sir. Epic meme. You win the internet for today. Oh, I hate Just, myself. Uh, I hate myself for saying another, that. 
like another another little behind the screens thing john john and i have been talking for like 30 minutes already about the books that we're writing and, and kind of like left philosophy in general and and john has been kind of surprised at some of the philosophical directions i'm taking the the book that i'm writing and and oh dear just wait wait till the pricey comes your, well, your mention of reddit curled another paw or another finger on the monkey's paw <laughs> well um You've said it now. I think this is the first time that you have said it on the show. But considering this is your birthday episode, um, I know that there is some incredibly exciting book-related news for you to share. Yes, uh, everyone. In 2025, Out from Repeater Books will be my debut uh, book on theory and culture and media, Negative Psychedelia. I'm writing about bad trips. I am writing. Uh, I'm here to harsh your buzz with this with this forthcoming title. Uh, so next year, next year, look for that whenever better books are sold. Uh, I'm I'm honestly I'm so excited. If you listen to the show um, at all, if you're aware of our show at all, the most <laughs> the the thing that excites people the most are Ashes Praises. Um I am like I am so so ready for an entire book. That it's going to be like them, uh, dedicated to... The, the book to, is going to be a 60,000 word pricey. Yeah, dedicated to like such an urgent and interesting and contentious topic. Uh, I can't wait. It's going to be incredible. And you, you listeners, you better believe, I, you better believe I'm writing about Rob Zombie in there. Uh, I think that if you listen to the show, conclusion. you know that that was going to be in there. <laughs> you know, man- mandatory inclusion, Rob Zombie, that, that has to be there. Um... Well, until we get to that point, perhaps it's uh, it's time. <laughs> it's time then for um, Ash to to, to, to to celebrate you, to uh, to inaugurate your birthday episode properly. Would you mind explaining? Uh, what are we talking about today? What is this movie about? Keep circulating the tapes was the final message given to viewers of the first four seasons of MST3K. These simple words at the end of every MST3K episode foreshadow the vanishing landscape of cinema in the digital age. Mystery Science Theater 3000 is only alive because fans did as instructed. They pirated MST3K onto VHS and then later onto torrenting sites. They kept circulating the tapes. MST3K appeared decades later on Netflix because fans ripped it from cable TV and shared illegal tapes with their friends. I was haunted by vague memories of Mystery Science Theater 3000 in my teenage years. I had these golden memories from childhood. Something about robots in space and bad movies that I must have seen right as my early memories were beginning to coalesce. Only years later I was able to reconnect with this show. I was able to make this connection through, and only through, the circulation of tapes on torrenting sites. Here I might be tempted to digress into Adorno's approach to cinema, a philosopher who I otherwise enjoy, and render the dead horse into Galerte the way I do with Funko Pops and Disney films. But MST3K is an anomaly in the fabric of pop culture in the same vein as the music of Laura Less. MST3K breaks through capitalist realism even if only partially. It is the acid, if not the communism, of a future that could yet be. MST3K is the thorn of the honey locus of the human artistic expression. We come to know the shape of Pleistocene megafauna through encountering something now not complete, but complete in a way we can't fully grasp. We are in the midst of a much more pressing great extinction, but the same force that drives everything from bees to cetaceans to an early oblivion also renders art and culture to the corners of r slash lost media. The process of forgetting can never be complete while the honey locust or the orifice epifera are rooted in this earth. Like the cold side of a bed where a lover once slept or the undeleted texts from a deceased friend, The negative space of the act of forgetting is, in itself, the final redoubt of memory. MST3K then blossoms into a pirate archive, an anarchistic array of media preservation prefiguring the spirit of a class unto itself. The bots, the mads, Mike and Joel, they riff on movies that they ripped from the cracks in copyright law. These riffs draw commentary back onto film, music, politics, life in Wisconsin, 
and historicize a moment more clearly than the retro-maniacal hagiographies could ever hope to do. They might have molded the likeness of the bots into Funko Pops, but, oh dear listener, on this the advent of my birth, I still can't escape this tired funkified metaphor. I grow drunk on this rotting, low-hanging fruit. If there is a pop culture to castigate, it is in me. The tapes I choose to circulate are more internal to me than my own blood. I'll let the curtain fall on so much plastic chit. Grist or grund Rissa until they release Capital Volume 4 in the format of collectible vinyl dolls. I keep writing this, and I'm here, and I'm high, and I'm watching a fellow Wisconsinite talk to puppets. And I can't help but feel we're all still sorting out 68. We're all just bored ago looking back to Kropotkin or Marcuse to Marx. Which way next? Is the close of Diabolic the exploration of Kemet's Gemeinwesen through an anti-work attitude with Milwaukee Vivre? Is torrenting a necessary but insufficient exploration of communization with hitherto untapped potentials? Does MST3K provide us with the most scathing dismantling of technocracy, both intra the narrative of the show and the meta-narrative space of the show's production? All of the above. I've written 300 or so of these left horror movie confessionals, and I feel like at their best. They are generating unknowing. Frustrating little missives jammed into stress fractures. Somewhere, at some point, the umbilicus was cut and we're all just drifting here in space at an unthinkable speed, waiting for a sign that we should stop waiting. But we are creatures of signs. We need the dizzying, desolutory cultural spillage of MST3K's filmic stoner hyperpop, which breaks apart signs. If I'd rather lay in bed and rewatch Final Sacrifice than be of and for this world, then I can think of no sign more glaring. Exit here. And so we keep circulating the tapes, not just for MST3K, but for everything else we wish to preserve from the strip mining of capital. The circulation is a sign of life and a body politic, but it is no living. I feel something deeper in the circulation of tapes that goes beyond the surface, anti-capitalistic commentary, something more useful than a rallying cry against consumerism. We're doing it. If we can keep the tapes circulating, it's proof of concept for a world that could yet be. It makes me want to be brave enough to ask, are we through, but yet to realize it? And as these words reach my lips, join us as we've got movie sign! <laughs> the lights are all going off. <laughs> I am flailing. Uh. I am flailing like a puppet, trying to dig their way out of the bottom of a spaceship using a pickaxe. Uh, <laughs> let- but is, is is that not what we need? Is is that not is that not the strength of character in total defiance to like? Zizek's hyperfixation on the real fucking crow is just like I'm going to leave. <laughs> Let's go. What a great pricey. What a great pricey. It's it's I you know Shin Godzilla is still my favorite, but that one I, I I felt like I I tapped into a new vein of theoretical maniacal laughter with that one. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Let then let us let us uh let us start our morning jog which is definitely not a reference to 2001 A Space Odyssey, um, (laughs) by circling round the ever-revolving floor of the formalism zone. Zone, zone, zone. Zone, 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 zone. I actually actually think that's a a really good place to start, actually, because, you know, one of, like, the... I I, I guess, like... This is almost like a Borges by way of Adorno's... by way of Adorno point that we can kind of start here, and that's, like... That jogging scene is obviously a reference to 2001 A Space Odyssey. However, 2001 A Space Odyssey is one of those movies where when you see it today, it's no longer the masterpiece of kind of experimental sci-fi cinema that it once was. It's now the movie where you go, oh, that's where that's from. 
you know, you watch it and you go, like, I remember I saw MST3K, the movie, before seeing 2001. And then I was like, oh, that's that, that's where a bunch of those references came from. I get it now. This, this is kind of the ur text, which with everything kind of points back to. Okay, so you're, and, and you're making, think, oh, you're on, making like a super interesting Jamesonian point here, um, <laughs> which is which is actually... This is a big Name formal drops. point. This is a big, fo- the, you know, uh, Jameson, the greatest fo- American philosopher um, currently living and maybe ever. Um, this is a really, this is a really important point about like actually film generally or even like reading generally. So like Jameson says that the, the entire point of reading is not to try and encounter a text or watch a movie as if for the first time, because with these with with so many films, you can't do that, right? Because they are now so culturally diffuse. You've read this already before you've read it. And so the entire point of reading is actually to read oneself, right? To recognize mm-hmm. the various ideological commitments that have been inculcated in us, culturally speaking, that we bring to the text that actually prevent us reading it as if, it, as if for the first time. I think it's so interesting you said that, like, like you've 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 never seen two thousand and one. You saw two thousand and one: A Space Odyssey before you saw it, right? There's this moment of like uncanny yes. recognition, and I think MS T three K is such a good example of like how that functions on a on a really mundane cultural level. I mean, I've seen the film that they're watching in this, but I've never seen it. Yes, yes, I, I think that's that's a really strong point, and I, I can't think of the exact quote off the top of my head, but it does remind me of, um, and, and you'll you'll likely remember this better than I will, Adorno's kind of infamous comment on going to the cinema, where he, he said something to the effect of like, oh, I, every every time I go to the cinema, cinema, I, I leave dumber than than when I yeah, entered. Yeah, I, f- I feel I feel more stupid. I feel dumber. Yes, and, and Adorno infamously down on movies, uh, not 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 a big fan. Not not a big fan of the cinematic expression, and, and I think I, I think there's something kind of fun to to break apart with participation in cinema too, because right at the start of this movie, I have to travel to my other notes doc where, I, where my quotes live. Uh, we get so, so uh, uh, Doc Forrester, one of the mad scientists in charge of these experiments, uh, says to us, the viewer, "What you're about to see is an experiment. By observing, you have become part of that experiment." And I think that that line for me in this was like very, very interesting, right? This little fourth wall break at the start of the film in MST3K. And this thing that only gets to the point where... So they, the the kind of pre-production of this movie, like nobody wanted to make this movie because MST3K behind the scenes is something that's incredibly difficult to make in terms of its production. And that's not because of the puppets or the riffs. It's a very simplistic show on, on a technical level. And I think that's part of its genius, but but the kind of difficulty in it is a legal one, uh, right? Like a lot of these movies don't, like a lot of MST3K episodes don't have a formal release because the rights to the movie that they were riffing on are disputed or are hard to access. And nobody wanted, like the, the studio originally wanted the MST3K movie to be a proper, a quote unquote proper film that was the backstory of all of these characters. And not them riffing on a movie, which would have been god awful. Yeah. Oh god, that would have sucked. <laughs> yeah, but because securing the rights to a second film that you watch during your other film is is a nightmare for companies, right? That that's just another expense, if not an entire legal web you have to dig into, especially with these old films that like, who the hell owns the rights to slime people? Somebody probably question mark, <laughs> and studios aren't really willing to take that risk. Um, anyway, I don't remember how I got on that little side tangent about about that, but it is related to to my larger point here, where like Adorno is very down on cinema being like this kind of anti participatory art form. You go to a movie theater, you turn your brain off, and you kind of just like lay there as human slime for an hour while while sights and sounds wash over your lifeless body, and then you you animate and leave. But but I think MST3K really really challenges that because here's something that's not like like MST3K is at once in- incredibly formalistically complicated w- with the references that are being made in the show. Some of them are like low hanging pop cultural fruit that you would have got if you were just watching the news and staying up to date with movies and music at the time. But like they're also like name dropping philosophy. They're checking obscure bits of literature occasionally. Like you have to be very engaged and and kind of hungry in a way to dig into this show. And I think we can kind of use that as like a 
that passivity isn't really inherent to the format of of this art form. It, it is kind of a byproduct of how, uh, like like the 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 generic like popcorn flick is constructed and marketed and sold, and like we're given the instructions for participating in it as a passive art form rather than something to be actively engaged with. Well, I th- I think this raises a kind of broader question of like really the problem with Adorno's point is the point at which cinematic technology had developed when he was writing something like The Stars Down to Earth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And of course, the fact that the development of cinematic and entertainment technology was in America specifically absolutely bound up within um, anti-communism and the Cold War. Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, like uh, writers and filmmakers were incredibly involved in things like the OSS during the war. Um, and like culture as a field of ideological struggle was an emerging question and a very active mm-hmm. question. I yes. mean, this is why he did like uh, his kind of quantitative sociology on the authoritarian personality. Um, so I, I, but like there is this kind of like, Jameson talks about this a lot of like as as uh, capitalism develops through the 20th century uh, it kind of it kind of doesn't liquefy but it explodes outwards so culture being this autonomous zone of capitalism gets kind of eroded away but the, there is this kind of like there are these interstitial spaces in which uh, kind of interesting ideological frictions start to emerge um yes and i think Maybe this, it's, in a way, it can be quite Brechtian, right? Ooh, ooh, I'm here for this. I'm here for this. Right, the whole point... One of us had to name check Brecht today. The whole point of, 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 of um, MST3K is not that you're watching a film, it's that you're watching somebody watching a film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, I mean, I, it's I, a kind I, of, me- oh, it's what I call kind of like meta-cinema. Yeah, no, I, I think the point about meta-cinema is, is really strong, but I do think there's something... I, I think the kind of descriptor of like watching people watching a movie ca- kind of maybe maybe belies a little bit something more I think more engaging that's going on in MST3K because in a way it reminds me more of so so today we we view like a Shakespearean play with a kind of like silent respect like the audience is meant to be well groomed well behaved and not participatory um, but in Shakespeare's time, like the, the play was a little riot, you know, you'd get, you would go to a play and get drunk. Like you'd be at a sports game. Um, you would participate in the play as an audience member. And then with MST3K, it's, it's, it's kind of like picking up that same note from horror where you're screaming, don't go in there. Right. Like they're riffing on the movie and that invites you in a way to like, I, I firmly do believe that all MST3K episodes are best enjoyed with company. Yeah. Because then the bots and and our hosts start riffing, and then that kind of invites you and whatever company you keep to start riffing as well, you know, and like like that that kind of perpetuates a certain life with within this show, and like like your point on the Cold War I think is really strong. Like like the movie focuses on this island Earth, a an amazingly cold like like just like all American sci- sci-fi cinema during the height of the Cold War. It's an amazingly there's a Cold War going on movie. Um, and the threat of being caught up in between it. And I think the kind of meta commentary we're getting here, like does invite us to push back on kind of like Adorno's approach a little, because at least at this point, culture has kind of evolved enough to offer us more commentary, more perspectives, more avenues of assault on what we're being handed. Well, I mean, you're not just watching people watching a movie. You're watching people in a movie, watching a movie, watching a movie, right? Yes. (laughs) So really, in a way... Um, I mean, this is this is postmodernism, right? There is, uh, oh, super postmodern. Yeah. So, like, in in a very classic kind of, uh, again, very classic Jamesonian sense of the term, which is like, the problem of postmodernity is that, like, intuitively you have no cognitive map of where you are, um, like mm-hmm. because the those old that old historicity is kind of sublimated and, and kind of papered over as it were um, by the, the shifts of, of capitalist totality. And in a way you kind of see that in this film, right? And you have your base level story, which is our presumably late fifties, early sixties sci-fi movie. Um, yes. Which is very definite in its historicity, right? In, in what it's responding to. But then this is kind of like completely almost liquefied in our dehistoricized, detemporalized 
um, melange of, of, of various other things that are happening over the top of it. So I, I suppose the question becomes then if you take the sort of like optimistic, you know, um, uh, positive approach to postmodernism, um, or you kind of see it as like the problem that has to be worked through. I think, I think, I mean, like, oh, we're having such fun today. <laughs> well, maybe, no, like, like, maybe like, we can put the question, oh, maybe we can put the question another way, which is like, what is Mystery Science Theater 3000? So you, you have a, you, I think you should kick this one off because you have a really good point in our notes here about kind of reaction content and an emergent art form that, that has, uh, I don't know, for better or for worse, become one of the dominant ways of creating video media. Yeah. So like, um for better or worse we live in the age of react content um this is very much proto proto react content it hasn't fully optimized the experience because like because of the way humans and our 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 kind of subjectivities work we like to watch things with other people and actually we like what we like more is often we like to watch somebody else watching something that we like right that's uh, this Mm -hmm. is like in a way this is a really good bit of this is a good object lesson in lacanian psychoanalysis that's my hot take (laughs) on what um on what mystery science theater 3000 is it is so what does lacan say right we don't desire we desire the desire of the other we've learned to desire uh, through cinema is the pervert art right cinema shows us what we desire but an even easier, more direct way of doing that is cinema showing us someone else learning from cinema what to desire. Ooh, that is fun. This is fun. I really like this. Um, yeah, yeah. This is this is one hundred percent the kind of like necessary cultural like predecessor of the like uh, epic react first watch trailer video in a, in a certain respect, but I think in a very like negative respect, right? And this is kind of like a maybe like a little Marcuse thing here, but like there's kind of nothing that capitalism can't absorb. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, like, like, like that is, that is its, its great, greatest strength, right? Is that like you, you kind of try to design something that hopes to undermine it and capital will find a way to turn it into another like extractive marketable experience. And I think, I think we're kind of getting like that in like microcosm here with the MST3K to like epic trailer reacts content. Because MST3K, like, it is offering a, a decidedly similar, but I would also say different experience than kind of just like, those those React videos are, at least the ones that are extremely successful, and certainly not all of them, but a lot of that stuff is very, like, one-dimensional in its content. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. You'll, you'll get uh, the Marvel hater will do a React video to a Marvel thing, say a bunch of, like, probably misogynistic stuff because an account named the marvel hater i i doubt they're coming at that one from like a communist perspective or you'll get like you'll you'll get like disney fan 5 uploading their reacts and of course it's going to be like oh my god wow i saw captain america's boot and i licked it yeah um, i mean that's that's kind of like opt the optimized endpoint of the process i mean yes and yes it is optimized is like, for capital yeah precisely and mst3k is so like good and funny because it's weirder (laughs) yes and and i think an important formal distinction here too is like the kind of contemporary react content is produced in a context that is totally obedient to uh youtube's uh copyright robots yeah right like you you react to the palatable sliver of a trailer or censored bits of music or censored bits of films distorted and manipulated and reversed and flipped in such a way where you're trying to dodge the copyright takedown machine and mst3k is i think taking another approach where it's like okay well here's a bunch of titles where nobody really gives a fuck about their copyright because they're either so old or they were so unsuccessful that they've kind of fallen to the wayside yeah and and some some of that is like yes yeah, so some of the stuff that, that they riff on is public domain but there's also like a lot of foreign films that just don't really have a copyright foothold in the states yeah you know, there's, there's also a lot of movies that from like collapsed studios where the copyright just kind of vanished. I think, and I think that that that, that creates a much more uh, like disruptive space in terms of the kind of critical commentary that even the show it, it itself, without being like you know, it's not like an expressly socialist program, but even intra that space, that kind of formal approach affords it more 
just more just more in general than than you can get from like top 10 disney reacts oh a hundred percent a hundred percent and i think you're exactly right to flag up it's um it constructs an archive right it constructs in a like again like this is benjamin this is like the construction of an archive as the perpetuation and, and maintenance of a kind of history but the other kind of like optimized end point of this is i hate to say it uh it's a podcast (laughs) <laughs> mystery science theater 3000 is a podcast you you heard it here first joel <laughs> like creator it, of mst3k right isn't isn't it isn't it isn't that what like you know what does it rely on it relies upon that kind of meta discursive layer of talking about a particular object it relies upon a um community distribution it relies upon an internal logic of signs references and jokes like it's a podcast. Like it is. It is shocking, shockingly similar in in all of the best ways. And I think also, like on top of that too, like I'm I'm really really glad you brought up Benjamin, right? Because um, Benjamin has that wonderful essay. Um, what what is it? Uh, the, the essay on his book collection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I can't I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head right now. Um, but but it's it's this wonderful short little chipper chipper essay from Benjamin where he's kind of de- de- describing unpacking his personal library. And, and you know, basically the whole thing is like, oh, I've got all these books. I haven't read lots of them. They're all in boxes. I'm just reassembling them. And and kind of one of the big takeaways is like, it's it's very much like, oh, like you don't have to have read all of this stuff. And I think that that maps onto MST3K because you don't need to know all of the references that are being made here, all of the all of the pop cultural turns, you don't have to like Google all of them. Or I know like there have been tons of fan efforts to map all of those references. You know, like like it is sometimes enough unto itself that the reference is within MST3K and not necessarily connected back to whatever its original cultural, you know, like signifier is supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um it's, it's it's very it's very Dadaist of you, MST3K. That's uh that's very um <clears throat> speculative. <laughs> <laughs> I know you wanted to talk a little bit about the kind of the the sonic landscape of the show as well. Oh God, you know I love calling stuff that's not a landscape a landscape. How else am I supposed to do psychogeography? <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I can't be mapping stuff that's not mappable unless I call it a landscape. Um, we're not academics. We're not doing grad school at each other, trapped in the satellite in space. <laughs> um, that, that's gonna. That, that's one of those things where, like, we need that on a shirt or yeah, something. Yeah, it's, like, gonna, it's gonna, gonna stay with us. <laughs> As that, that that was true. Truly, that that and the the the, the cryptkeeper commentary, like those those will be in my heart for time immemorial. Um. But no, so so one of the things about MST3K that I, that I think really kind of like, I won't say wraps up all the formalistic points that we're having here, but really really underscores them is like, this this is a very sonically engaged show. It's very indebted to musical landscapes and, and different schools of music and different approaches, right? Like the Satellite of Love draws its name from a Sun Ra song, and there are multiple Sun Ra references in Joel's construction of the original uh, K- KTMA MST3K from Minneapolis. Um. And then, like, like as we go forward with the show, um, Kevin Murphy and Bill Corbett have a lot of musical bits. There's a lot of musical numbers. And I think this, like, it, it keeps the show much more strange, much weirder, and much more vibrantly engaged. That they're willing to just kind of... There, there, there's... Um, oh, my God. The... Um, the the roadhouse the roadhouse musical is is probably one of my favorite interludes oh, that's ever been created. God, yeah, just 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 absolutely absolutely brilliant. Um, it, and and I think that that's also really formalistically interesting too because I think it works against the kind of like contemporary React content has a very sedate rhythm, and when I say sedate rhythm, I, I don't necessarily mean that it is in and of itself kind of technically or formalistically slow or tired. But I mean that it's 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 meant to kind of lull your brain into whatever kind of like preconceived approach to media that you had to begin with. Yeah. But like like if if one of those like epic reacts accounts started doing like I I don't know operatic ballads in in, in the middle of their like teardown of some trailer or whatever that nonsense like like that would jar you that would force you to move that would force you to kind of like 
I, I don't know, encounter something new to, to reintegrate components of your own mind, even if it is just getting the joke or just trying to sing along to the goofy song that they're doing. And it's like, oh, no, all of a sudden you're, you're learning a few classical bars and you don't know it. I mean, I, given that you brought up um, Sun Ra, could we consider then uh, Mystery Science Theater as a sort of like proto or semi Afrofuturist text? <laughs> yes. Could you elaborate on that? No. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, there is something like I, I, I don't know. Like, like, like I won't, I won't, I won't approach this from like the lens of like Afrofuturism. Although we can see the debt of that because like there, there was kind of like a weird like, th- like, like this is a futurist show, right? Like, like the, the, the this is asking us like. Especially when we get into the Mike Nelson uh, uh, run of the show, right? Like, mm. when the satellite of love leaves Earth's orbit. Yep. Um, and then we encounter alien races. We have deep space travel. We have all of the kind of, like, Star Trek-esque wonders of the universe unfolding onto a guy from Milwaukee. Yep. <laughs> and, like, I, I do think there is something, like, th- that does kind of line up with this, like, I don't know, all, all of these different, like like kind of optimistic views of of the future whether it's that old speculative fiction that's kind of like space is full of horrifying things but it's also full of the potential for the new which is in and of itself a blessing and then also afrofuturism and like all this other stuff although i you know the show is decidedly lacking when it comes to i don't know let's just say certain elements of afrofuturism uh yeah the the afro part of it (laughs) yes yes that entire part of it which which i think like that's a that's a formalistic point that, that we can kind of like Maybe maybe this will this will take us into our discourse zone too because like it would be tempting to, I I think follow the like libidinal path of liberal media discourse and cancel MST3K, and render it into kind of like that left that that liberal conservative uh, like American approach to media where the show is either, oh it's it's the liberals are trying to cancel or the conservatives are blip, 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 blip. but but I think it's much more complicated to like really dive into the text and really explicate not only its historicities but also where the show is going its trajectory its present courses and i think we should dive into that by queering mst3k the movie uh absolutely we don't we don't do that straightforward moralist oh thing is good or bad stuff here let us let us make it gay let us let us queer mystery science theater 3000 where would you like to begin? Although, although with that said, I will say a few things are moralistically true, and that's MST3K is good, MST3K is kind of gay, and uh, patreon.com slash horrorvanguard is where you can uh, give us money so we can queer more media. <laughs> uh, an excellent and to-the-point Patreon plug. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to belabor it because we're having too much fun. So MST3K is, I think, very, very discursively fun to approach from like a left queer perspective because it's so easy to queer this show. Oh, yeah. And 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 I want, I want to start that off by by kind of like saying that's like, well, that's decidedly against some of the like, there's a lot of transphobic stuff in, in especially older MST3K episodes. Um, I'm thinking particularly of movie title loading. Their episode on the incredibly strange creatures uh, who stopped living and became mixed up zombies, exclamation point, exclamation point, question mark. Mm-hmm. Um, that has a lot of transphobic jokes in it. That kind of stuff pops up in the show. Um, there's there's less homophobic stuff in MST3K. But what I find to be really interesting that kind of like layers on top of that is when we turn to, to like, God, just any episode, but also particularly like I was watching this movie again for this episode and like, I was like, God damn, like, <laughs> this is this is this is hella gay. I love it. So we've got we've got like right off the bat in the opening scene, Dr. Clayton Forrester is spanking himself with a clipboard, calling himself a naughty boy. He is, yes. And like, and like that, like, yeah, sure, that doesn't have to be queer. That doesn't, you know, like, straight dudes can do that. But also, it's much more fun if it's queer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this, to, this, I, I mean, fellas, is it gay to spank yourself <laughs> with a clipboard and call yourself a very naughty boy? Um, no, that's, that's completely heterosexual. Yeah, that's, that's a real cishet behavior there. Uh, but we've also got like Tom, Tom Servos when he when he's when he's like uh, uh, using the lower half of his body to plug the 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 fucking like leak into space uh, that Crow just mined out. 
uh, uh, says, I'm experiencing a sensation altogether new to me. And quite frankly, I love it. I love it. Who who doesn't want to experience the great yawning emptiness of space on the lower half of their body? Um, that is... That that is the most like like kind of like new Lovecraftian kind of fiction where like like the kind of like general gist is like what if no what if you actually fucked Azathoth yeah and what if you were kind of into it even if it was going to destroy you and then and then like you know like when we get into the episode itself like like there was tons of you know you know Cal's Cal's Weasley little assistant in the movie they're constantly riffing on him being in love or him being his like essentially his like sub I, th- I think is like the big uh, that's takeaway very much the, the coded dynamic yeah and like it, it could be tempting to read those jokes as like oh that's the, that's just kind of homophobic they're making fun of etc and so forth but rather I'm like like no like like isn't it much more fun now as a queer person to be like no it is it is funny because like you know like we have like this chaste cishat sci-fi movie from the 50s but like no like in all actuality all cal's assistant wants in this world is to be a collared breedable love slave (laughs) for 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 cal's you know magnanimous masculine energy like like this is this is cal cal's just missing a little beard and body hair and he would be like a great bear top for this uh, absolutely and it's like as you say this is a deeply chaste movie um there is there's really only one non-male character in the entire thing um uh, yeah dr lady dr lady <laughs> um and it's 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 a lot of dudes there's a lot of dudes hanging out in space together <laughs> and you know for uh, you know i don't i don't think we can draw any parallels to like earth naval history for what a lot of dudes no. locked on the ship no. in, in a hostile environment would do in their free time i, I don't think there's ever been any you know, weird context for that. I, 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 uh, listeners, uh, put it in the comments if you can point that. Get get in the tube that does strange things to your body and let me, and and let me watch and let me watch and <laughs> let me watch you the tube. And afterwards, you might need to sit down for a bit, but it's fine. Oh my god! Again, uh, none of this is really subtext. It's very much dumb text. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, joke of the day. Joke of the day goes to you for that one. That was really good. Um, um, but but I, I think like like the kind of the point that I'm working towards here with the kind of exploring the kind of like the, the, yeah, having fun with the queerness in this from a, like a left perspective is like when, when it comes to locating the queerness in cinema, I, I, I think there's this kind of like, as we were talking about earlier, this kind of like liberal moralistic approach. When I say liberal, I mean like in the American political context, of course. Um, if if we have any time traveling listeners uh, uh, from France from a certain period in history that are just checking into this episode, liberal has changed a bit. Yeah, time as, as, times as have changed, friends. <laughs> but like to everybody else, you'll be up to speed. But but I think like you know like there's this kind of like there's a libidinal impulse to be like. It's only it's only a queer program when there's like an outspoken queer character doing something queer on screen in it. And of course, those are always great to see, you know, like like representation is never just. But at the same time, like locating queerness in media is often something that we find as a culturally emergent property. Yeah. And and again, like Babadook. The Babadook just leapt into the arms of the greater queer community because that movie is hella gay. Mm hmm. Even though, like, at no point in the movie does the Babadook pop out and go, like, like, I'm here for men loving men erotica <laughs> or something. I don't know. I forgot what the Babadook sound like. I haven't watched that movie in a while. <laughs> you nailed it. So you absolutely happen. nailed it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's my, it's my, it's, it's going to be my new voice around the show is the Babadook voice. <laughs> what do you want to talk about next, John? I don't know why the Babadook sounds like a chain smoker. <laughs> Um, no, I think you're completely right. Um, and, like, a lot of this, a lot of this, like, cultural history from the 50s and 60s depended upon a kind of utopianized and idealized pseudo-heterosexuality. Like, it's also the time of, like, f- the first uh, American panics about homosexuality because you have the work of, like, Kinsey and other sexologists. Yes, yes. So, like, like 
yes, it's all very, it's all very masculine. It's all very, there's lots of men and we shouldn't panic about what that means. There's just, it's a <laughs> lot of guys and it's fine. It's normal. Um, don't worry about it. And, you know, again, it's, it's like, yes, we could be, we could be very straightforward and simplistic about it and be like, oh, we're just reading into it. But actually, those anxieties were all part of what informed the cultural production of the time, right? Implicitly or explicitly. So, you know, and the show picks up on that in ways which are sometimes quite crass. And, you know, some of the jokes have not aged particularly well. But also, in some of the ways, are actually very insightful. Absolutely. And and I think, like, so it is. It is as you're saying very important to historicize this, right? Because when this island Earth is is being produced, is at a point in American culture and British culture, additionally, where like there there is a lot of like cultural anxiety and paranoia around anything queer. Yeah, the right? the like, lavender like, scare like the, is real. Yes, <clears throat> absolutely. We're 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 warming up to a time period where like pinko you know like we 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 get that as an emerging slur as we bind queerness into communism which hey win down the road but like yeah, not for the best in the moment and like we 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 kind of have the, this thing where like this island earth is reflective of a cultural moment of all of these repressed queer erotic and queer libidinal energies yeah is it, the question like, is the question is the same as it is in poltergeist which is like are you gay yeah. or are you a fascist? <laughs> That's the unspoken question. And a lot of like 50s and early 60s media is, are you gay or are you a fascist? And then like, by the time we roll around to the 90s, when MST3K is really in the height of its first big uprising, big uprising, um, we, we, we kind of get this point where like, yeah, MST3K is kind of like an object of cathexis for, for this kind of canned queer cinema. Right. It's, 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 it's cathexis for these desires because, you know, now we've kind of gotten to a cultural point where this stuff is, you know, like gay marriage isn't legal yet. Uh, you know, and we can have separate conversations about assimilation in the context of gay marriage. But like we're, we're still in a rough spot, but these conversations are becoming more prominent. They're becoming more focalized. People are starting to, to, to get the fuck on board. And then we go from like, you know, like are you gay or are you a fascist to a a much more open exploration of that question? Yeah. Like what I would argue is an actual exploration of that question outside of just the queer community. Who's always been one step ahead anyway. I think this brings up uh, a broader, a thing that we need to talk about with MST3K, which is like, there's a lot here about what sociality means. What does it mean to have, you know, work friends, what does it mean to meet someone? Uh, you know, what does it mean to be kind of thrown together <laughs> with people? And this is a really interesting movie because a lot of it depends upon really abstract notions of labor in the context of like super cutting edge productive technology. I do find this to be incredibly fascinating because on my, you know, watching MST3K the movie to prep for this episode, the whole time I was like, you know, because like we, we get the... the Mike's university uh, sweatshirt that he's wearing when he's when he's doing the 2001 space jogging scene. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, this whole thing is such a good vehicle for discussing academic and intellectual labor. Yeah. Being being trapped by some random rich dude in a satellite forced to conduct arbitrary intellectual exercises for some unknown profit. My God, this is way too salient. Yeah. I mean, stop I, predicting the future sci fi. Uh, I Like you have. I'm fascinated by how this, the film within this film deals with like nuclear power. Mm, yes. There's a real like utopianism to it because it believes that you uto- that like, you know, what, what do our extraterrestrial visitors with the slightly elongated foreheads um, really need is that they need atomic scientists to protect their planet. Like, so pre- like pre Chernobyl, pre uh, Three Mile Island, pre all of the kind of like panicking about nuclear power, uh, but actually post something like um, Hiroshima, uh, H-bomb tests, like the destruction of Bikini Atoll, there is this moment where this low budget, no budget sci-fi movie was was thinking about, and quite a lot of sci-fi and B-movies were doing this, were thinking about nuclear power as like, 
transformative and even life-saving in certain ways civilization saving Mm -hmm. and even though the planet is destroyed it's like it turns into a sun it turns into something else which is going to be productive and generative and so it's so interesting that something produced it like just as the uh cold war was really about to ramp up for the next few decades was so kind of weirdly kind of heartwarmingly hopeful about nuclear power about atomic energy um, but, but so I think the movie has like a weirdly like politically engaged and nuanced stance on the Cold War as it's beginning to emerge because we have, right, we, we have kind of a post-World War II America is where our humans are set. But then but then they're kind of like sucked into this space conflict, yep. which is being waged by two warring factions. And one of those warring factions is essentially like, hey, Earth scientists. We're willing to let you play with some incredibly advanced technology from your perspective, some industrial technology. Uh, but we're gonna we're gonna need you on the war machine over here, like like you're gonna like like in the book Earth is the the book is much more uh, engaged with like World War II metaphor, mm-hmm, yeah. But because uh, 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 Brack and Co are like using Earth as an island hopping base, oh, essentially, yeah. yeah. And and in the movie, it's 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 more like Earth is like part of a proxy war, right? Like if if they if they help if you know like they help Earth a little bit, they can extract Earth resources to help their war effort. Yeah, or resettle there, you know, and, and do some colonization as their planet collapses. But but I think that like winds up being weirdly nuanced to put America in the same position that we put like countless Pacific islands. Or in entire countries, you know, like in the case of Vietnam and Afghanistan and all these other places where, you know, the, the, the Cold War was only cold if you were in the United States, right? Like Precisely. You know, parts of Europe. Elsewhere, the Cold War was very super not cold. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that there is this kind of like, um, well, I suppose you'd call it a kind of like liberal internationalism that's running through mm-hmm. the film. Uh, you know, you've got German scientists, you've got Chinese scientists, all being brought together because they're the best ones for the job, darn it. Um, yeah, I think a super a super kind of like, str- it's not strange, but like revealing set of ideological choices happening, right? Uh, and especially like, like, I'm glad you brought up the German scientist because like, Cal and the Americans are like very kind of uneasy about having him around. Yep. They're, they're just like default yep. suspicious of him. And I'm like an old man German scientist in the 50s who's at the mm. edge of nuclear research. I wonder what his job was 10 years ago. Yeah. Oh, he was on vacation. I was um, He was away. He was, <laughs> he had just turned on his out of office email. Um, don't worry about it. <laughs> I was on sabbatical. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. So this is that even even that like little reflection in there, right? Where it's just like, oh, strange uh, bedfellows operation paperclip inside of this. And, and I think you bring up a really good point too with this kind of liberal internationalism, because there there's an excluded third party here that, that I think it, it didn't put it in the notes, but I really want to talk about it. And that's the Metaluna mutant. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so the 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 Metaluna mutant is one of the lower rung of the official Universal monsters. Right, like, like the, the doesn't get nearly as much love as it deserves. I, I love the Metaluna mutant to the point of of owning. When when I was a kid, I had the the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles did a Universal Monsters toy run, mm-hmm. and I have the Metaluna mutant. I think it's Michelangelo that got turned into the Metaluna mutant for that. I, I've always loved the kind of visual imagery of the Metaluna mutant, and and I think like from a left discursive perspective, it's really interesting too because like you know like earth we, we we can kind of really see the kind of like if, if america and by you know earth by way of america in this film is being turned into kind of this like indigenous island hopping location right or this this kind of space vietnam in a way mm-hmm. you know like, like the, the metaluna mutant what we see here is like a domestic underclass yeah you know over there like we, we kind of have metaluna mutant third worldism emerging in this film because like this poor fucking mutant is like on on a planet that's being blown up by by space aliens in a complicated millennia long space alien war, and here's here's this poor creature who's just like being killed by rubble and like like downtrodden even further. And I think it does open up a space for us to be like in inside of the movie that is. I know we've kind of like jumped to ju- jumped from discussing MST3K to discussing uh, this island Earth specifically, but I guess that's the bane of doing a movie in a movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it does open up a lot of like complicated political conversations about like 
class and alienation and distance and race and, and, and how we perceive these things and kind of the nesting doll of MST3K, the movie. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I think the treatment of the mutant is incredibly revealing, right? For the limits of this so-called like benign universalism. Right, because it's eugenicist. Yeah, uh, right, because yeah. the the so Exeter Exeter and his his uh, the the wisdom contained within his uh, not a forehead, not a five head, but like a ten head. Yeah, that is um, yeah, it's an eleven head. That like that's <laughs> <laughs> and like which, which I also love because he's got like he's not even disguising the fact that he's an alien, and he's like he's like oh you're you're Mozart, you're composer, and everyone else is like you're weird. Mr. Exeter with your giant forehead and no one is like, is he a space alien? <laughs> but, but no, like, so, so uh, Exeter, Exeter lets Cal know that, like, <clears throat> the, the Metaluna mutant was genetically engineered for kind of menial labor. And, and so, so we, it, it is incredibly revealing, right? Because we, we have this, it's a very American movie. Because not not only is atom, you know, we've got this atom age positivism that's going on, mm-hmm. right? Where it's like, oh, atomic energy can save us all. But like, despite it's kind of, I think, more complicated conversations it's having about the legacy of World War II and the dawn of the Cold War, we, we still have like this pro-eugenicist like, oh, and this kind of like, it, it, it is possible to engineer an idealized servant race that can handle the tasks that we don't want to do. When like, no, that's, that's just the working class. And that's often like a like racially and ethnically dispossessed working class yeah we've already got that we've already got that and capitalism is great at producing that and and like eugenics flows the other direction right it's not some like biological attempt to identify inferior people it's a way of using biology to be like no this people these people are inferior for the following reasons yeah precisely yeah justice for the mutants basically yeah, natural, natural. Like, I think there's a reason why the Metaluna mutant kind of elevates itself to the Universal Monsters, you know, kind of uh, uh, club there, right? It is, it is the natural compatriot of the Frankenstein's and the Draculas, and right, this kind of subaltern othered. No, can yeah. the Metaluna mutant speak? Oh yes, <laughs> boom! It's naming. I mean, all my favorite stuff today. It's my birthday, and I'm just opening up little presents like treats. Like I talk about Lovecraft. <laughs> <laughs> Well, to finish it off, should we maybe kind of share some thoughts on puppetry? Let's 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 talk about puppets because uh, uh, so I was I was reading Mark Fisher's blog on Toy Story, uh, uh, weirdly enough, and that got me thinking about the MST3K because MST3K is kind of defined by puppetry. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we have we have Tom Servo, uh, uh, the kind of modified gumball machine. We have uh, Crow T Robot. I think he's like some kind of like sports equipment, like a lacrosse uh, mitt in a bowling pin. There's Gypsy as well. Uh, yeah, which uh, I think is important to flag up uh, in, in the latest seasons has been renamed uh, officially to GPC. Uh, I see. Uh, as, yep. as a way to, yeah, Gypsy was the original name, uh, but since it's been turned to GPC as a way to, I don't know, stop using a slur for one of your characters. It names. Would be good. Would be good. Usually advisable. Usually advisable. Which uh, was, I think, some kind of like a storage bin and some ducting and a flashlight. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so, so we have like, th- th- there's, 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 I would say a very workmanlike familiarity to these puppets, right? Like, like this is, this is a like, I think it would be tempting to try and call this like a retro futurist, uh, you know, like, like show, but I almost think this is like, this is, this is almost like a, a 90s American spontaneous re-envisioning of an aspect of like Soviet cosmism. Because we have like this incredibly like working class. This is closer to alien than it is to like like a lot of other texts because of just how working class space is being depicted as, in- including these like advanced sentient robotic life forms. But in, so to take it back to that uh, Mark Fisher essay, like like Fisher is kind of talking about um, uh, Legati's uh, work and Legati's work on puppets specifically. <laughs> Yeah, and how like there's something there's something terrifying in the puppet. There's something terrifying because it's like the empty other that, that kind of reflects something back to us. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think that this show's playing with that in an interesting way. Do you have any uh, uh, puppet thoughts here to kick off our our uh, pu- puppeted conversation? I don't know. I think what's interesting is the degree to which the puppet is trash, right, or is like yes. garbage, or is something other. Um, 
I think that's useful. I don't know if I would follow all the way to the kind of Soviet cosmism angle, mostly because... Bit of a stretch. Yeah, I, I think because the, the cosmist idea is that of like the, the creation of a kind of higher reality. There is a sort of salvaging aspect. Um, the, the, I, this, I, this is very salvage punk, very harvest goth. Yeah, exactly, which I think is maybe... I think that's how I would read them. But... Um, Lugosi and kind of like the gothic and the impoverty is always about the presence of consciousness where there shouldn't be any but actually all of this stuff being kind of repurposed junk um, means that they kind of have Heideggerian at-handedness in their innate Mm. original function and so what you get is you get an expression of that reconstituted for like the postmodern media age I, I really I really like that. And I think to kind of like dovetail into that, or maybe I should stop dovetailing into things and I should find some more complicated joinery. <laughs> but uh, uh, to dovetail into that, like I think that at-handedness is, is really important here because especially if you contrast that with the like coming age of sci-fi that happens on the heels of MST3K. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because right as, you know, the show's blossoming, the show's blooming and we're entering into the aughts. We're moving into the kind of post 9-11 sci-fi space and contemporary technology where everything is rounder, everything is holographic, right? And, and I often think about like the bridge of uh, the, the Enterprise D, right? Oh, Which yeah, yeah, is, yeah. It's beautiful. It's cozy. You know, it looks like people live and work on that thing. And then like I look at the, the Enterprise bridge in kind of contemporary Star Trek and I'm like, the thing is hollow and metallic and cold and it looks like it would suck to be there and would hurt to work at. You can't sit down at your computer desk anymore. No. Like, <laughs> I, I don't what the fuck. And like, and then you look at MST3K, and there's just like, there's, it's just full of junk. It's so lived in. It's so lived in. Yeah. And all of these, all of their kind of puppets had a like, yeah, they are they are reconstituted like ephemera. Like, there's there's something so kind of like, sort of like wholesome about that. Oh, honestly, I think there's something utopian about it, too, because, like, Tom, Tom, GPC, and Crow are just kind of made, and, like, also Cambot, for, for people who, salute to Cambot for people who remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, and the ship itself, that's, like, this greebled dog bone, uh, the, the passageway into the theater, like, there, there, there's a kind of, like, utopian quality to this almost, right? Like, there's this kind of, like, and and uh oh gee uh utopian if, if anybody wants a good primer on uh uh utopian philosophy and thought uh check the links in the show notes <laughs> uh, you might be able to pre-order a book uh by a certain someone who is uh john aka the liquor guy no you will be able to pre-order the book pre- uh, was, pre-order the book what was well, I, I can't remember the title of that oh gee, i am so, such a bad friend could you remind me uh that is out loud right of, now of course that is a primer on utopian philosophy an introduction to the work of ernst block <laughs> coming in march pre-order the book friends pre-order the book <laughs> do it snap up your pre-orders I promise, I promise you, I, I said this before in a recent episode, but like before I knew John personally, I knew John uh, through the primers that he created and they are worth their weight in gold. But no, I, I do believe there's something utopian about these puppets, <laughs> which is a phrase that I just said out loud. I love, I love this podcast. Um, and, and, that's, and that's specifically because they're made of the flotsam and jetsam, the refuse of capitalism. Yeah, absolutely. They're just made from like, like disposable plastic junk. You know, like like literal garbage, you know, stuff that's just clogging landfills out there in the world. And like, is is this not a, the like a, a vision of something better through the garbage of today? Is this not like, you know, not not not, the, not a final destination of, oh, there's another horror movie franchise we haven't touched yet. You got to stop I think my monkey's this. paw has an <laughs> abnormal amount of fingers today. It's my birthday. I get to do this. <laughs> Both hands on the lathe and I'm revving it like a motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> but no, what do, you, what do you think about that? Is, is there, do you think I'm going too far here? Is, is this just something aesthetic that I'm reading into too heavily? No, do you, do you I mean, utopian thoughts. I mean, I think this is precisely correct. And it's like, it's a recuperation restaging of the original utopian impulse of like 50s and 60s sci-fi mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. which is exactly exactly what the show kind of exists to do in the first place like it'd be very easy to see the show as being like cynical 
about these old media products. But I really, I really don't get that. I really don't agree with that. Um, and I think you're completely right. It's precisely because of its, you know, utopian leanings. The fact that it really does kind of quite sincerely believe in what it's doing. Oh yeah, oh, completely. And also, it's like this takes us back to like a little formal quality about the show too. But like, you know, it's like like MST3K is from Minneapolis. You know, like like that's where Joel creates the show. Then we yeah. have then we have Mike Nelson is just permanently indebted to the landscape of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which lived there long enough. And and much like a, a living in a William Hope Hodgson story, like it's gonna it's gonna scar your soul, and you will become of that place forevermore. Mm-hmm. Oh yes. Um, God bless Wisconsin. <laughs> but like for 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 so many things, for so many things. Um, but no, we have like I, I think a formal quality here. We're like. You know, like the, the show does not come from L.A. It doesn't come from like the jaded, bitter financial machinery of Hollywood. You know, it, it's made outside of that. It's not even made in like, you know, like the, the kind of like te- televisual like industry that is Chicago. Mm-hmm. Right. Like like this is in, in some very important ways outsider art, right outside of this machinery. And the fact that it's like stayed alive in its format, I, I think rather than viewing this as like a crass kind of cash in on on another brandable ip like i i think you know like like yes there are funko pops for mst3k yes capitalism will gnaw on this thing as like if our podcast gets successful enough it's inevitable that capitalism will gnaw on us the same way it does all all art all thought that grows we all get turned into funko pops in time sometimes (laughs) before our time sometimes after but no like I, i think that there's an important outsider quality to this that that really resonates with that kind of like I don't know that really hopeful, really utopian spark of like capturing something new and bringing it back into the world. Absolutely. And I can't think of a better place to wrap things up. Boom. Any, any final thoughts about MST3K, the movie, colon, this island earth? Well, what a, what a great way to celebrate your birthday. I, I'm so happy that we decided Woo! to do this one. <laughs> yeah, this is this is way better than, than, a, than a protracted conversation on a movie that doesn't exist. <laughs> Although... Although, again, I, I refer to the now clenched eight fingers on this monkey's paw I've been holding the whole time. Yeah, I mean, uh, you have brought some great evil into the world. <laughs> at least it's re- at least I've, I've restrained my commentary to podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Well, thank you, listeners. There's still so much more. There's so much more that we could say about MST3K and other episodes, the long arc of the show. Uh, just occurred to me that we could have some very fun and complicated conversations with gender that we do not have time for today. Uh, but who knows? Maybe there'll be more MST3K in our future, listeners, if you find that to be enjoyable to hear. Thank you. Thank you for turning in. And uh, hit 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 the button, Frank. Frank.